mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Uh, right, shall we wait until you've finished? You, what are you going... Oh, no, not with your fingers in the cream. Oh, sorry. No, not fingers in the cream. I've got to show that. It is so... No, so, you, all, so we had a feature today with Hannah Evans, who's the deputy food editor of The Times, and she brought us in some amazing uh, pastries from artisan bakeries mm. and you've had what was it a brioche with cream in a brioche with whipped cream and sugar but do you know what it reminds me of my paternal grandmother's baking it's absolutely delicious that was a lovely little throwback that actually really so nice. you've just left the cream because I, I just can't blob. i can't justify having all that cream with nothing if i had a spoon obviously i would oh, i've got my emergency spoon in my handbag to be honest i think just if you're on your own you would well, of course. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for all of your uh, wonderful emails about taxidermy. The Off-Air Museum of Taxidermy has closed now. <laughs> uh, that is because uh, we've had to offer counselling to quite a few of the producers who've been working on the podcast this week. Uh, but I think it's been one of the best uh, listener interaction things I've ever seen. And I really, really want to thank whoever it was who sent in uh, what's been termed on the Instagram as either bat with tackle or flasher bat. Yeah, horrible. Which is a bat holding its wings open, mm. displaying his manhood, mm. and it is his manhood. Well, it's his bathood, isn't it? With just an incredible, arrogant expression on his face. Uh, so that's made my week, uh, but we do need you to stop. Please stop. Please stop. Okay, but if you haven't seen any of the images, go to the Instagram, uh, Jane and Fee, where we're building up a nice little collection of community-minded, slightly dizzy folk who enjoy the content there. So um, there's some serious stuff, or relatively serious, but on the whole, it's just a place of good cheer and companionship. Mm. So if you're in the mood for that, head to our Insta, Jane and Fee is what you need. So shall we start off by uh, playing our little interview with Adele and oh, then yes. we'll do some emails and then we'll get to our big guest this afternoon. It is big guest. Uh, Sharon Davis uh, joined us to talk about her latest book. Um, but we did get an email yesterday, didn't we, from Adele 
who is? Well, she is the artist, um, and she's she's actually very serious about her work. Why shouldn't she be? She's the artist behind um, what is now a viral stuffed fox, um, stoned fox. Uh, stoned fox has been a meme, was particularly big in Russia. And I have to say, by fluke, Adele was already listening to the podcast. Is that right? How weird. It is a bit weird. It's a bit... I mean, we never know who's listening, obviously, but our tentacles do do extend to some fairly extraordinary places. Anyway, um, Adele got in touch, uh, emailed us, and we talked to her earlier. She was on her lunch break, and she told us that her... You know, this is one of her early works, The Stone Fox. Do Google Stone Fox so you're absolutely in the picture of, you know you've actually seen it but you can also see it on our insta i should have mentioned that earlier let me do this bit again no i just keep going i just absolutely plow on to okay. the end all right Jane. Then. we spoke to adele earlier and she told us how an early attempt at some poor taxidermy took her to a fat boy slim concert and to on a russian press tour so where did her interest begin yeah, it's funny because you mentioned going, you know, to these museums as a child and being horrified by it. But for me, it was, had the exact opposite uh, kind of effect because that's how I got into taxidermy is when I was a kid, I used to go to Cardiff Museum because I'm Welsh originally. And the same kind of thing, like you are kind of at eye height with all these creatures. And, you know, there's like a very badly stuffed tiger and a lion and it was the first time you could get that close to any of those animals. I mean, they are dead, but, uh, and then when I was 15, I went to uh, one of these days out in the local nature reserve where they have a tent set up with showing all the local wildlife and they had taxidermy. And I asked the guy there, oh, where, you know, where did you get this? And he said, oh, one of my friends is a taxidermist. And that's the first time I realized it was a job. Um, and he did say something like women don't really do the job. So I thought, OK, so I should definitely do the job. Um, and yeah, sort of started from there. So then I was about 16 when that happened. And then I started researching it on dial up Internet and then got a book, which is very old. <laughs> That's like black and white photos. It's horrible. Uh, and then when I was 18, I did my first mouse. So yeah. starting small. That's Are you... Adele, are you offended um, by the fact that your fox, um, your your very early fox, we should say, uh, <laughs> has has become uh, a a figure of fun? Um, I mean, it's, oh no, not no, at all. no, no! I laughed out loud last when I listened to yesterday's podcast at the beginning, where um, one of you said. Oh, because I'd said that it was eight years in that I'd made him. And one of you said, I dread to think about the other eight, previous eight <laughs> no. years. And I laughed out loud because it's Sorry. true. It, you know, no, no, no. I genuinely, I'm not even 1% offended by it. I mean, it was... Do I, 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 loved I, our, I loved our correspondent who said it looks like uh, the kind of fox that only a mother could love. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, but it, I, you know, after I first made him, I didn't show him... No. Like, I didn't take photographs of him or anything. I just thought, oh, okay, this was not the best. This It's just one of those things where everything started to go wrong, you know? And then when he dried like that, even though I, there's something about him, I just thought, oh... I've done something bad here. This is not what a fox is supposed to look like. <laughs> well, um, he is your most famous 
uh, work. Yeah, which is ironic. Really. Well, it is because I, I dare say that you've done, you've gone on to splendid uh, examples of taxidermy since. Where is he now? He's actually in my house now. He was gone because I sold him originally. This is how all the crazy story started. Um, and then he was gone for 12 years. Oh. And then I had to buy him back at a very inflated rate. <laughs> so I had to raise money to buy him back, which I did two years ago, I think it was, or three years ago. Where where had he gone? Who had bought him? And, and how unfair that they charged you more than presumably they paid for him in the first place. I know, and he was a wreck as well. But um, so it all started kind of strange. So I made him when I was in the second year of my master's in fine art, but taxidermy at the time, I was keeping as a complete secret. I wasn't telling anyone I was doing it. And then uh, one day I decided to do this fox and everything started going wrong with him. And then I decided to show for the first time the taxidermy work in like a crit where everyone criticizes each other's work. And for some reason that day, all of the class were out apart from two of us. And both of those people said, don't show this fox to anyone. What have you done? So I was like, okay, take note. So for two years, he was just in my studio. I didn't show anyone. I didn't take a photo. And then I was going to the jungle to look for a new species of ape, which is a whole other story. And <laughs> I, <bet>. I needed, <laughs> I needed uh, inoculations, you know, vaccinations to go to this remote part of the jungle. Very expensive, needed to raise money. So I put him on eBay. Now, at the time, I didn't have a website or anything, so I hadn't put him on my website or on so I didn't have any social media. So from eBay, he went viral, but I didn't know because I didn't have any social media and nobody knew who I was because my eBay name is like something I made when I was 14, you know, and then I started getting these very strange messages saying from Russia on eBay, which I thought was a scam but it wasn't saying he'd been made into a meme, but I didn't know what a meme was because this was 2011, which memes were not a thing. Um, and then I thought it was a scam. So then the guy sent a hundred links to all these Russian websites. Um, and then eventually a man called Mike bought the Fox off me. Um, and then I later discovered that Mike had seen a post from a, famous DJ who had said I love this fox if someone buys it for me I'll play a gig for them for free so Mike saw this as a money-making opportunity where he could have this fam famous DJ come and DJ for free and he could sell tickets so he bought the fox he asked to meet me in person which is a bit odd when you're selling something on eBay and then I met him he did the gig that was very surreal uh the fox was there and then, then people from Russia contacted me, said, this is blown up in Russia. Will you come here? But I no longer own the fox at this point. So now I have to ask Mike, can I borrow the fox back to go to Russia? But Mike not. is a very if, interesting guy. <laughs> if, if you were submitting um, this as a plot for a movie, Adele, yeah, I think yeah. someone would say, could you go and workshop that a bit? Because <laughs> that's I know. an incredible I know. story. But look, it's uh, fantastic that you did get him back in the end. How much did yeah. you pay? Uh, over a thousand oh, to get him back, oh. unfortunately. Um, yeah. When you look at him, Adele, does he have a personality? Does he have a name? No, he's the only one that I have never named oh. because everyone sort of 
the Russian press called him Stone Fox. So that's just kind of stuck. But um, yeah, I felt like he he's like the original. So I usually call him the OG Fox, but he did, yeah, he doesn't have a name. He looks like a Barry to me. I, that's a great name, actually. Well, that's the artist uh, known as Adele. Um, whose life story, I very strongly suspect, would be worth hearing. I mean, that's just a very brief, just a tiny insert of what Adele's Mm. been up to over the years. So there's something about The Fox, isn't there? One of our all-time favourite family films was The Fantastic Mr Fox, which is a Wes Anderson movie, isn't it? Part kind of animation. Uh, I oh I really really loved it and did you? yeah I did actually. Do you know you've just reminded me driving back home last night in the dark. I mean it was about half past ten I think, uh, and my daughter and I saw a fox standing on top of a parked car. Now we often see foxes round our neck of the woods last thing at night, but the fact that it was just standing on top of a car without a care in the world, and it is weird how otherworldly a fox appears. There's just something a little bit frightening about them. I mean, they make you, you just, you jump, you try to take a photo and they dash out of shot and they're hopeless, but they just don't, they, I don't know, they are, they are unnerving as critters, I think. Yes, I think they're one of the easiest animals to anthropomorphise, aren't they? Which is why, you know, that's People happened have. so many times. Yeah. So ours just come out in the day now because there's definitely a fox den over the other side of the fence. Uh, and obviously, you know, we've got quite a lot of animals in the petting well, zoo. indeed. <laughs> and so when they don't finish their food, and I'll tell you what, Brian is quite a finisher, but guess what? Babracadabra, not so much. She offer food. So uh, the foxes tend to come over the wall to eat the food. And in that nanosecond, I always think, oh, how lovely to see you. And then I think, no, go away, because I know what happens next. You just pee all over the food. You do a great big smelly poo and you're upsetting me. Right. So there we go. <laughs> uh, let's say hello to Kate, who's uh, emailed in about travelling. Uh, when my husband and I retired early, 23 years ago, we had a bucket list of places we really wanted to see. And very fortunately, we have done them all, except the Grand Canyon, which we're off to see next month with Saga. It's much delayed uh, from a pre-COVID booking, says Kate. We're now 84 and 77. We look forward to it with some trepidation. But I did get a holiday in Singapore and Australia this year as a 50th birthday treat for our youngest daughter who lives in Alice Springs and didn't find the travelling too exhausting. I still want to go to Japan and Uzbekistan before it's ruined like Dubai, so I hope my health holds up. Um, Kate, I hope your health holds up. And Kate is one of those people who hasn't lost her love of travelling. She is still really up for it. Okay, this one comes from a person who wishes to remain anonymous. I don't know if you're done with this topic, but my worst ever family holiday came when I booked a trip to Portugal with my two teenage sons and now ex-husband. I'd booked two rooms in a gorgeous hotel, which both contained bathrooms made of glass. Things were already going badly with me desperately trying to get everyone interested in exploring the local area when all the boys and my husband wanted to do was stare at their phones. On day two, I hired a man to drive us around to see the sites I'd lovingly researched. And this included a trip to a highly rated seafood restaurant. We know what's coming, don't we? 
We had a lovely meal. On the way back, I started to feel a bit odd and by 4pm had full-blown catastrophic food poisoning, followed by my husband and my eldest son. You have not known marital discord until you have two people experiencing seafood poisoning in one small hotel room with a glass bathroom. It lasted four days. The only person who enjoyed the trip was my youngest, who had ordered a burger at the restaurant and got to spend those four days playing computer games in the room whilst ordering room service. Now, I really love that because I bet when he ordered the burger at the restaurant, you went, oh, for goodness sake, will you not just try the local squid? Be adventurous. Look at the longoustine. You could have a burger anywhere. No, that muscle doesn't smell strange you've come all this way you're just eating a burger well who had the last laugh there um i love that idea uh, about a glass bathroom because when well when you walk into a hotel room and you know sometimes the bathroom's not even very separate from the bedroom anymore jane no. and i think doesn't matter how much i love the person that i'm in the hotel room oh, with God. I don't want that to happen in public. I mean, I think probably most of us can look back to incidents of that nature. I I can't eat I can't eat beef Wellington after a similar sounding really? event. Yeah, beef or, Wellington. I know. I don't think it. I think what happened was that we'd both caught a bug from somebody else in the family, but we'd happened to have a meal of beef Wellington, and I'm never ever eating it again. Um, can I just say a quick shout out to Pamela? Um, Pamela, I'd love to do justice to the wonderful email you sent us about your late mum. She sounds an amazing lady and thank you very much indeed for telling us about her. Um, some lovely stories and also some stories about um, what we might lightly refer to as family discord. But um, uh, we share your pain and um, very much hope that you're OK. I should say um, that she reports that Margot is now a very popular name at our local Diddy Dog Daycare. Well. So Margot is not only gaining popularity in the human world, but is very much with us in the canine world as well. Who yeah. knew? It is funny how names just just, just become wildly popular. Well, everywhere. I think Margot in our generation just had different connotations, didn't it? Of, uh, you know, silly kind of... It was silly, kind of slightly snobby name, wasn't it? Well, because of... Um, yeah, The Good Life. The Good Life. Um, we've got Felicity Kendall coming on the show. <gasps> yeah. I wonder whether Felicity might make a comeback as a name. I think it's rather a nice name. Yeah, I would agree. When's she coming on? Why don't I know this? Um, Have I missed a meeting? No, I don't think you've missed a meeting. It was just a name that was offered by Young Eve a couple of days ago. And I said yes, because yeah. I saw her recently. And she was, I saw her in a show recently and she was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I always rather wanted to be her. I definitely, definitely wanted her fringe. She's managed to carry a fringe off all the way through her life. Yeah, I wanted to be Margot. Did you? I wanted to have, um, what do you call it? I wanted them? to have Jerry by your side. I wanted a caftan and I wanted Jerry. And to be a bit snooty. And to be, well, I don't have to try too hard to be that. Uh, we've been told off, and rightly so. As I was going home last night, Annabelle, I felt bad about the conversation we had had about Netball 2. Not least because I don't think GS stands for goal scorer, as I hazarded a guess. Uh, from uh, a very, very narrow part of my frontal lobe, marked sport. <laughs> I think it's... Uh, 
Goal shoot. It's goal shooter, isn't it? Not goal scorer. Anyway, uh, Annabelle says this. I don't want to complain and please class this more as helpful, friendly advice or as teachers used to say in my school reports, constructive criticism. I am and have been since I could toddle a sports fanatic. Thanks to extremely sporty and supportive parents, I was able to have a go at everything, including football, cricket, tennis, gymnastics and also netball. I played quite a few of the sports mentioned above to a fairly decent competitive level through my teenage and young adult years and I can therefore guarantee you that netball requires as much athleticism, discipline, fitness and coordination as any of the sports I've mentioned in paragraph one. I say this as someone who's not tall and still enjoyed playing netball and still do and I could rant on about how irritating it is to hear the comments regarding the fact that they can't run with the ball as if you actually watched the Netball World Cup you would have appreciated that they literally don't stop with the ball and hold it for nanoseconds however i will stop boring you you're not boring us at all but one last and most important point is that as a teenager and young adult netball gave me some of my very best memories from the elation of fantastic wins learning to deal with pressure I am a goal shooter and a netball net doesn't have a blackboard is much smaller and taller than a basketball net horrible fitness regimes long minibus rides to countless i'm yet to counties I'm yet to revisit. And most importantly, Netball provides a sisterhood that stretches from incredible volunteers, coaches, umpires, but most importantly, lifelong female friendships. Let's not knock female sport. Mm. It suffers enough already. No, good point. And, yeah, I'm really, really with you on that, uh, Annabelle. So thank you very much indeed for taking the time to write to us. And I really hear you, actually, about the lifelong female friendships because I have a couple of um, friends of friends who play in a netball team. They have done for 20 years. They play every week. And I've always been envious, actually, of what they get from it because they turn up, they don't have to chat. There's no booze involved. Nobody's over-emoting or over-sharing or under-sharing or whatever it is. They play sport together and they feel good mm. about themselves and they give each other some high fives and a great big hug and off they go and they know it's there for the next week too. So I hear you. And why don't we start a Times Radio netball team, Jane? Well, uh, I'm washing my hair. Uh, but I do take the point uh, of the email and I completely agree. I think it, it's it's the way men bond and there must be something in it. I mean, it's not the only way men bond, but a lot of men bond by playing team sport together. So it's terrific that women do the same. Good yeah. for them. What's happened to your golf? Golf? Well, it's difficult to fit in. I mean, I'd love to. I might go down the driving range and practice my swing again because I was getting quite competent. But I mean, seriously, it turned out when they sold me this job, there's a bit more to it than I realised. I thought I'd be playing golf till about five to three, and then I'd <laughs> and then I just start John talking. Inverdale. <laughs> no, I know that's exactly. Anyway, it's, it won't mean a lot to many people listening that comment, but I enjoyed it. Right. Um, I love um, this email from Claire. Hello, Claire. Claire describes herself as another displaced, slightly confused British listener. She's in her 50s and she says we're keeping our company. Well, we're all keeping our company as she navigates a new life in Quebec. Uh, with my full consent, but not too much imagination, she says, I've gone from happily mooching through life in the UK as a widow, not looking for a romantic adventure, to meeting and marrying my now husband last summer. He moved to Canada 15 years ago and we decided the best plan would be for me to join him here. Well, it's been a roller coaster so far with highlights 
digging the car out of a massive dump of snow, melting in 35 degrees of heat this summer, and almost crying at the lack of reasonably priced decent cheese, and realising that my schoolgirl French from the 1980s just isn't really much help here. My husband's first language is Spanish, so I'm attempting to learn that too. I have finally managed to secure my first job here, and they'd like me to learn Greek to be able to talk to their suppliers. So there's that as well. Crikey, Claire, you've got a lot going on there. Uh, she says, I've learnt the hard way that humour is rather different here and sarcasm isn't always well received. Oh, I think I'd struggle there. I don't think I don't think Canada's calling me, Claire, but you've obviously found uh, a lovely bloke, so good luck to you there. And uh, I want to know how you met him. He, he speaks Spanish. He lives in Canada. Where did you meet him? That's what I want to know. I mean, it's strictly speaking, not my business, but I would still quite like to know. And good luck, because I think moving to a completely different place, I just couldn't, I really think it's an amazing thing to do. Yeah, me too. We could start a little theme of where did you meet, because people always have fantastic stories about that. Yes, Why? where did you meet? Well, I'm just trying to move it on from taxidermy, because I think Eve <laughs> well, I, I mean, actually needs therapy I was over the say, weekend. We thought penny farthings was challenging, and then taxidermy was another rogue call. So uh, shall we go on to Sharon yes. Davis? Uh, let's. Uh, so Sharon Davis uh, was our guest on the programme this afternoon. Uh, you would know her as an Olympic silver medalist, a European Championship bronze medalist, a Commonwealth gold medalist, all in the pool. Uh, she was a swimming champion at just 13 years old. I think she went to her first Olympics, didn't she? Uh, which was the 1976 Games when she that was... That was in Montreal. Was it Montreal? Yes, when yeah. she was uh, just 13. Yeah. Uh, and she's become one of the strongest voices in the campaign for fairness in sport for women. To be able to compete on a just playing field, not against athletes competing with an unfair advantage. And by that she means drugs, like the doping scandals of the East German teams when she was competing or the male hormones and physiques of some trans athletes now. And her book is called Unfair Play, The Battle for Women's Sports. It's been written with Craig Lord, who is a swimming and Olympic journalist and also a writer here at The Times. Now, the doping of athletes in her discipline of swimming has cost Sharon Davis a lot. So I asked her how I could have introduced her if drugs hadn't been rife in swimming when she was competing. Oh, that's a great question. Um, you could have called me the youngest European medalist at 14, probably, uh, champion. Um, Olympic double gold medalist, because obviously they took my second event out as well. It's the only time it's been removed. It's been in every single one since then. So I didn't get to swim that, which was really frustrating. Um, and obviously kind of all those, that era, you know, racing the East Germans. And But I've always really passionately felt that there was two victims, myself and my teammates that lost out on the medals we should have had and all the opportunities, particularly my friends that didn't get on the podium at all. Um, but those young girls that the East Germans let down, you know, many of them are incredibly ill now. Um, some of them have even died, you know, and it, and it's it's that dereliction to duty that the IOC had and did and just for 20 years they ignored it and then for the 40 years afterwards they've not acknowledged it mm. and it's not they're not learning from these terrible lessons so one of the things that will strike anybody who looks back over your career is the fact that what happened to you happened in plain sight for all of us as viewers as well. So Jane and I were discussing this the other day. We were talking about the fact that when we watched the 1976 Olympics, uh, you know, there were jokes in the classroom about yeah. the East German team. Yeah. So when you were actually there, can you remember what was being said to you at the time about, apart from anything else, the difference in their appearance? But everybody knew. 
You know, everybody around the side of the pool knew exactly what was going on. What we didn't know was what drugs. I mean, we presumed it was testosterone of some sort, but it was tyrannable. So, you know, when they were giving it to these young girls, what was their process? How long did it take before they could get it out of their system so that they could come to the Olympics and, and you know, not be tested positive? Um, I mean, so it was all of the how rather than are they because it was so obvious that they were you know they would come to an olympics and we'd never seen these people before they would appear and, and break world records and they've not done a junior program or, or any previous internationals of any sort but they looked and sounded like men they had adam's apples and and you know thick throats and and shadows and puss put bad skin and 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 they genuinely looked very sad and not terribly happy and they were always kept separate from us I mean, during the 76 Olympic Games, the East German team was kept on a boat in the middle of the St. Lawrence River. And then after the Games were over, they, they raked up a load of um, syringes and tubes and bottles and substances and still nothing was done. You know, there's, there's opportunity after opportunity. There were people that defected with the little blue pills. Um, there was doctors that reported what was going on. It was continual that the IOC did absolutely nothing. They were very complicit in what happened. And they even gave awards to East German doctors and East German coaches, which only until recently were, were removed. So uh, can you give us a potted history of the IOC with regards to women's sport? <laughs> That's your competitive task for today, Sharon. <laughs> Um, I mean, they just did everything in their power from the word go. So even Pierre de Coubertin, you know, who's supposed to be the father of the Olympic Games, did everything possible to keep women out of the Olympics. So I would rather he wasn't celebrated next year in Paris. Um, and then just how difficult it was to get women into lots of sports, you know, whether that's uh, rowing, boxing, being able to run the marathon, not to 1984, people being dragged off the Boston Marathon. I mean, the book obviously... People think the book is all about the, the trans argument, and obviously that's in there, but it's more about the battles that women have had in sport throughout the whole of the modern history era, and the fact that we've had so many hurdles. I mean, the interesting statistics are things like, in the UK at the moment, there's a 1,000 women that earn their living from sport. There's 11,000 men. Um, in America, because they have better ways of keeping stats than we do, but we're very similar, 1% um, of the sponsorship dollar goes to women in sport. 4% of the airtime goes to women, the rest goes to men. So we already have this very tiny piece of the cake and now we're supposed to be moving over in our own category for males who say that they feel like female. However, they are still males. Whatever they feel like, they are still males. And, and this would never be tolerated in men's sport. So it's this constant knocking of women's sport, this constant battle just to kind of get some form of equality you know even if it's just the opportunity to have um, the same races or the same number of people which now we've achieved at the olympic games but it's taken until now literally to do that mm. and when i competed in 1980 there were four times as many men as there were women but we still have massive problems with committees and the people that run sport and i think that's part of the recent problem um is that you know misogynistic sports like cricket and cycling have been an absolute nightmare to just give a voice to female athletes. Can we talk a bit more about the trans issue then? Is it fair, Sharon, to say that these are people who feel a different sex to the gender that they were assigned at birth? <laughs> what I have a problem with is how does feeling like something you're not trump the reality of half the world who are something? 
And when we know that there's a very difficult, different physical ability in sport, i.e. anything between 10 and 30% at the Olympic Games, so 10% being things like middle distance running, 30% being something like weightlifting, and the more explosive an event is, the bigger the, the advantage. And we have every piece of science that says we can't remove that puberty or that male advantage then basically we've just said to women, you're no longer worthy of fair sport. Mm. So what we offer men, we're not offering women. You have to go into a race with a known disadvantage. And that's what I have a big problem with, this, this, the fact that for PC virtual signaling, women's sport was so easily kicked to the curb again, when the IOC could have said, well, let's do the science first. And if the science proves that we can remove advantage, then we'll, we'll you know, think about what we can do. And there is but a lot... Um, there is a, a lot in your book about the science of testosterone. So can we just talk about that? Uh, is it true that even if you reduce the testosterone in a person, you would never be able to take away elements gained through being born male, through that yeah. innate masculinity? Is that just Absolutely. not possible? It's not possible. So all of our studies so far, and there are 18, 19 studies, the last being September of last year, one of the largest um, after the longest amount of time, which is 14 years of reducing testosterone, the reduction in the, the advantage was tiny. So, you know, that's after 14 years. So things like Q angle, which is the angle between your hips and your knees, which is obviously bigger for women because we have childbearing hips, that's the whole point means that footballers, for example, have far, six times as many knee injuries, female footballers, because we have this larger Q angle and because we have ligaments which are much more flexible. So therefore they're not as strong and they're not as supportive. So, you know, there, there are, those things cannot be altered by reducing testosterone. We have 50 trans-identifying males at the moment in uh, the English FA, and the vast majority of those are goalkeepers because it's a big advantage to having larger hands and being more dynamic to be able to stop the ball. So, you know, in rugby, we know that it increases the risk of, of injury, serious injury, by about 30%. Hmm. And it will be women that will pay the price, you know, on contact sports. So and one of the... Sure, sports. so, sorry, sorry, this will, this will happen because we're doing this on Zoom, Sharon, I apologise for that. Um, Reducing testosterone in an athlete has been touted previously as mm -hmm. one way that you might be able to level the playing field. So you're saying that the science doesn't back that. No, not, up not at a single, all. not a single, not a single study supports that. Can I so ask you? Sorry, All these ideas that it was 10 nanomoles, then it was 5 nanomoles, then it was 2.5 nanomoles, then it was 5 years, then it was 1 years, then it was none of it. It was all just plucked out of the sky. There was not a single piece of scientific evidence to base that on. Can I also ask you about the gap closing theory, this notion that the more we advance in science, in terms of nutrition, in terms of training, the easier it is to bring male and female athletes together, oh, that the strongest so, woman might be able so to compete with the weakest man. I cannot believe you're asking me that question with a smile on your face. You're literally saying that women don't train hard enough. Is that what you're telling me? No, <laughs> I am asking you all of the things that you know that you've been challenged about before yeah. and yeah, yeah, all yeah. of okay. the main planks that are uh, actually <laughs> holding up this kind of structure of debate absolutely, at the moment. Absolutely. So here, so 40 years ago when I was swimming, 
all right? We've had 40 years to, to carry on. I was doing six hours a day, which is what most people are doing today in swimming, somewhere between four and six hours a day. Um, when I was 11, I fell out of a tree and broke both my arms. My dad wrapped my arms in plastic bags and I trained for three months with, with, with my arms in plaster. The following year, I tore the ligaments in my knee. He tied my legs together and I pulled for three months. Now I can tell you with my hand on my heart, there was nobody that trained harder in those training sessions than I did, whether you were male or female. However, my body does not enable me to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger because I don't produce the testosterone and I don't have the framework. And it's a very insulting thing to say that female athletes don't train hard enough and with given more time, they will close the gap. Actually, we can prove scientifically that's not true. So the gap has stayed the same pretty much for the last 40, 50 years. The only thing that has actually helped is the access. So when women, you know, when Title IX, for example, in the 70s came in in America, the access for women to have better opportunities and better sponsorship enabled more women and more depth to have access to sport. But the, the, the performance difference has practically not changed at all for decades and decades. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Our big guest on Off Air is the Olympic swimmer Sharon Davis. I asked Sharon about the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and why she thinks they are so fundamentally against women in sport. I just don't know, but they always have been. You know, historically, they always have been. And the decision they made in 2015 uh, was a decision which literally said, we're going to put a feeling in front of all the evidence that we have, all of the women that do our sport, all the idea of offering equality, and we're just going to throw women's sport under the bus. And what we've been doing since then, you know, that, that the past seven, eight years now, we've been clawing it back. And now you can see the governing bodies changing their policies. There's nothing democratic about the IOC, is there, at all? I mean, as no, I understand it, is, is the Princess Royal still Britain's representative? Oh, no, not. I wish she was. I wish she was. She hasn't been our representative for a very long time. So who is it? <laughs> the only females that sit on that committee come from the Middle East and North Korea. The bastion of women's sport, North Korea and the Middle East. <laughs> and, that, and that's the problem we have, right? We don't have strong women are not allowed to sit on those committees who have a voice who stand up for women. 
So we we have a battle and we are fighting constantly and, and things seem to get better and then something like this happens and then we're fighting, we're on our back foot and we're fighting again. I mean, it, 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 you couldn't write this stuff sometimes, you know, when we've made such great strides. But like I said, having said that, we still have a very small piece of the cake and we've still got an awful lot of work to do. And, and you know, we look at the football at the moment and it's on television, but the moment a major tournament like the Europeans or the Worlds are over, then it's a struggle to see it again. How much support have you felt you've had from male athletes uh, during your campaign? I know Daley Thompson uh, has been very vocal in his support and Lord Coe uh, has come good, I think, quite recently in your eyes. But what about other male colleagues? Um, very disappointed, to be honest with you. I think that they keep their heads down because they don't want it to affect their revenue. Um, so I... Uh, 2017-2018, over a weekend, I contacted 60 of my friends in the world of sport. Every single one of those is an Olympic medalist or a world champion, and every single one of those is a household name, and more than half of them were men. Only five of that 60 have ever put their head above the parapet. Mm. And can you tell us just a little bit about the kind of abuse that you have faced? Um, just activists ringing every single job that I have, ringing every single charity, ringing my children's schools, uh, abusing my kids, calling me every name under the sun. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bigot. Um, I'm a homophobe. I'm what else? Oh, obviously a trans. Obviously a transphobe. Oh, I'm even a racist, which I find hilarious because I've got you know mixed race kids. So it, they use these terms not to actually to, to mean it. They just me they use it to bully. They use it yeah. to shut you up and to stop you trying to debate and pre present the science. So why do you think it is, Sharon, that people cannot see the misogyny in the targeting of people like you? I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. I mean, you mentioned Daly. Daly gets a hundredth of the abuse that I get, and yet he has exactly the same views and says the same things. Mm. It's it, almost you know, as though, I mean, people like, like you... Movement. It really does. It feels like it's a, a totally and utterly a men's rights movement. Yeah. And the, well, the historically, women, you know, we get hit over the head with this be kind slogan. And yet if you turned around to men and said, oh, let's be kind to Lance Armstrong, he was only cheating a little bit, it's not going to matter. He's only got a 1% advantage on us. Let, let him carry on. I mean, they just laugh in your face. Mm. Um, but there is, it's almost, let's be honest, your side of the argument has somehow become unfashionable. It's you are, your older women saying apparently unfashionable things. And indeed, I've had spirited conversations with my own children who happen to be female mm. about what we have faced and what we've lived through and why so many of us get so passionate about this. Now, they don't really see it, do they? I think part of that is age. You know, I mean, my own mum, I remember her telling me that when she bought her first house with my dad, that her, the money for the deposit came from my granddad because my mum lost her mum very young. So my granddad gave her the money to buy a house with my dad. Now, my mum's my name wasn't even allowed to be on the, the mortgage, yeah. on her own house with all the money that she put down. You know, and I think part of it is the younger generation today just don't see the misogyny and the battle that previous generations have had to get opportunities, to get equality, to be able to have our own bank accounts and own our own houses and, and have a voice. I just don't think they realise what they're giving away. Um, but I've got a 16-year-old and I do think that there is a change, you know, that, that, that 
the younger there's a younger generation that are seeing through this as well um and you say it's not fashionable i'm not sure that's really true because i get phone calls all the time from young athletes mm. and young coaches it's just that they're petrified to come out and to give their opinion yeah. Do you genuinely, though, see a trans athlete in what we, you would say is the wrong category as always being a cheat, though? Is that a conflation of two different things? That's about deliberate intent. Maybe it's wrong to to give them that level of kind of, uh, I don't know, illegality, menace, whatever it is. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It is difficult because I believe that if you have a known advantage like that, that is knowing that you are cheating. You know, that's the same as someone who's taking testosterone, knows that that testosterone has given them advantage and going into that race, just like Lance Armstrong, and that's cheating. So, you know, and you can't tell me that Leah Thomas, who was Will Thomas and, and competed for many years um, at his university, did not know that he had an advantage when he went into those races. And this is such an interesting time to be talking, isn't it? And recently, Casta Semania has won a case with the European Court of Human Rights, which has said that she was discriminated against within sport because of being asked to reduce her testosterone levels. Yeah. And I wonder what you think about that kind of interface between sport and uh, the legal world, because those kind of challenges... Uh, will continue to be made won't they and yes unless, what, unless who, we come up with a better framework yeah unless we come up with a better framework which i would very much like to do that's where i am pushing you know the 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 resolution shall i say the answer so i believe we should bring back sex screening which is a cotton wool swab to the inside of your cheek and it takes 10 seconds and you have one in your life because you can't humans can't change your your sex I have one way back in 1976. The IOC got rid of it in around the 2000s. They polled their female athletes. 98% said they wanted to keep it. 2% said they found it uncomfortable. Now, if you find having a cheek swab uncomfortable, you shouldn't be an elite sport because elite sport athletes have to have WADA doing your, doing your drug test, standing over you whilst you have a pee, right? So, you know, a cheek swab is nothing in comparison to that. If we bought it back, it would sort the problem out instantly. We just go, this category here is for females and we will be sex screening. Yeah. Uh, can I just ask you as a final question how optimistic you are about the future? Because a lot of things, as you've said, uh, a lot of governing bodies in sport have changed their regulations over the last couple of years, haven't they? Yes, they have. And I think that the UK is, has been leading that. You know, we've got triathlon, which at the moment world triathlon hasn't chosen to protect the female category, hopefully they will. Um, volleyball, badminton, rugby, um, obviously swimming, athletics, cycling. Um, and we're hoping that world rowing as well will, will change, but British rowing has changed. You know, we have to find room for everyone to do sport. I categorically 100% believe that. I've spent my whole life trying to get people to do sport. I know it's really important for our physical and mental health. So I don't want anyone to be excluded. But there's an awful lot of propaganda when the word banned is used, because no one is actually banned. They're only banned from a category they don't qualify for. So it's about competing where it's fair. But, but as it stands, you don't believe, Sharon, that the Olympics next year will be entirely fair. In some sports, I think we probably will be struggling. But in the vast majority of sports, particularly the bigger sports, I think it will be fair. 
Sharon Davis there, and if you're interested in everything that she's talking about, her book is called Unfair Play, The Battle for Women's Sports. And it's not just about the current controversy around trans athletes. It's very much about her own experiences when she was a young girl. And I think it just beggars belief, actually, what we now look back on. Uh, You know, we were spectators. Mm. We saw what was happening to those athletes, the East German athletes. Uh, And, you know, I remember having discussions about it with my mum, but it's just so strange that it just continued. I mean, it was a crime being committed in plain sight, wasn't it? Absolutely. And you're right. We just they were figures of fun, which is very, very sad. And Sharon is very sympathetic towards those East German athletes and uh, the treatment they got from the East German state. They were utterly powerless to do anything about it. And some of them have had health battles that have gone on for many, many years. Um, Some, in fact, I think have already died, haven't they? So uh, it's all very, very grim. Uh, So Sharon Davis is a formidable, uh, formidable voice. I think that's one way of putting it um, in terms of women's sport. So we wish her the best and have a good weekend. Uh, You can join us first thing not first thing. I mean, we sh- first thing. We should it's first be. thing for us. We should be doing breakfast. But it's everybody else's. But it's just a bit of an early start. Uh, three o'clock on Monday afternoon on the radio. Yes, they let us do it live. Quite extraordinary. And then back with Off Air on Monday uh, whenever you get it. Have a lovely couple of days. Our guest on Monday will be the influencer and comedian and model and general life enhancer Fats Timbo. Uh, that's on Monday. Good evening. Good evening. We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout Play Times Radio at it. Uh, You can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com